Welcome to this podcast by City Point Church, Redcliffe. We are so happy you could join us and pray that the following message will encourage and empower you. The theme for November is moving into the future. And, um, and I want to sort of take it from a different angle this morning because we're talking about moving into the future because we're looking at finishing 2019 well and moving into 2020 with strength. So we're launching into 2020. We're not like winding up in January. We are hitting the ground running. And that's what we need to do. It's funny how in Western culture, how we see everything as a calendar year. And so we wind down and we wind up and we wind down. But we're actually just meant to keep going with consistency. And so I want to sort of look at it from a different angle this morning, moving into the future. I want to look at it from this angle of if life was a game of you know, football or whatever that is, that we have a game plan. We have a plan of attack. And so often when we talk about these sort of um, topics, we have the offensive strategy. That's what we propose to you, is, you know, when you move in, this is what you should do as an active and a proactive way to move into your future. But I want to look this morning at the defensive strategy. So we've got the offensive strategy, which is prayer, which is involvement, which is all those sorts of things. But what about the defensive strategy? Because there are going to be times in the game of life where you need both the offense and the defense. There are going to be times where you actually need a strategy for when bad things happen, for when you're caught unawares. So what's that strategy going to look like in the game plan for next year? And so scripture tells us in Romans that we can be confident as followers of Jesus that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Anyone else have that as a life verse? All things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. So we can, in essence, walk into any scenario, whether it's good or bad, and be confident God's got this, okay? So as a standpoint, we can be confident when we feel shaken, we just need to settle ourselves and go, no, 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 all things work together. If it's not good, it means it's not over yet because all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. In Hebrews, in uh, the 11th chapter, I love the book of Hebrews. I love that we don't know who wrote it. I love that it's so deep theologically. I love the book of Hebrews, and the author of Hebrews in the 11th chapter tells us we're going to approach God. We need to be confident that he rewards people who diligently search for him. That God rewards people who look for him and who have a heart after him. So one of our offensive strategies is to have a heart after God. So that our defensive strategy is the fact that God repays us for that. And so God repays those who diligently seek him. If you want your future to look good, then right now you better be searching for God. If you want 2020 to look good, then right now you better have a heart that diligently is seeking God because he rewards those people. And so we're looking at what does our 2020 look like because there are going to be, I'm sorry this morning to give you this news, But there are going to be times next year that are not entirely favorable. There are going to be bad days next year. And some of them will be worse than others. Some of them will be better than others. 
And so what does that mean? And how do we walk into 2020 with that sense of confidence? Because there are going to be times where you and I will want God fighting for us. Right? Anyone want to do a fight without God? There are going to be times when we are going to need supernatural help. There are going to be times when God needs to prove himself strong in our weakness, like the Bible says. Anyone? Anyone glad about that? That he is strong in our weakness. There are going to be times next year and in all of our lives where we're going to want to be able to walk confidently into the presence of God and call a favor. Right? There are going to be times where we're going to want to walk into God and call a favor. How do we do that? And what gives us license to do that? The defensive strategy. So I want to look at uh, this psalm that King David wrote. And I was doing my quiet time and I was reading um, through the life of David. And this psalm comes up and it's actually cited twice in scripture, the exact same psalm. And it's in 2 Samuel 22. It's also in Psalm 18, the exact same psalm. And a psalm is a poetry, a piece of poetry, a piece of prose, a song written by someone, in this case, King David. And in this case, he's writing in the middle of a challenge. If you read the story of David, he was constantly facing opposition. He was constantly being challenged. We're going to talk a little bit about that this morning, that he was always facing hardships, okay? But in this psalm, in the middle of his challenge, he writes about the defensive strategy he has, the access he has to God's help in the middle of his hard time. So let's read it together. Chapter 22 of 2 Samuel or Psalm 18. David sang this song to the Lord on the day that the Lord rescued him from all of his enemies and from Saul. If we go down to verse 17, this is what David is saying about God. He reached down from heaven and he rescued me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemies, from those who hated me and who were too strong for me. They attacked me at the moment when I was in distress, but the Lord supported me. He led me to a place of safety and he rescued me because he delights in me. The Lord rewarded me for doing what was right. He restored me because of my innocence. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I have not turned from my God to follow evil. I have followed his regulations. I have never abandoned his decrees. I am blameless before God. I have kept myself from sin. The Lord rewarded me for doing what was right. He has seen my innocence. Verse 26. To the faithful, Lord, you show yourself faithful. To those with integrity, Lord, you show integrity. To the pure, you show yourself pure. But to the crooked, you show yourself shrewd. You rescue the humble, but your eyes watch the proud and humiliate them. O Lord, you are my lamp. The Lord lights up my darkness. The thing is, that you and I can have all the skill and all the resource of a king and still fall into hard times needing help. There are going to be times when we say, my enemies are too great for me. This situation 
is too great for me. And in that moment, we want to be able to confidently walk into the presence of God and call on help. And so the title of my message this morning in moving into the future is Integrity is a Future Defense Strategy. Very quiet in here. Integrity is a future defense strategy. We live in a day that is so lacking in integrity. So lacking in integrity. I mean, you only have to list something on Facebook Marketplace or Gumtree, right? And have five people tell you they'll be there at 3 p.m. on Saturday to pick it up, and not one of them does. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as the whole world goes quiet when they want to go back on their word. We live in a day where integrity is non-existent. People are not sticking to their word. And this is the thing, is that then they wonder when things don't go well for them. And here David's saying, Lord, you rewarded me because I kept integrity in my life. Lord, you reward me because I have followed consistently in your ways. Lord, you reward those who are humble, who are innocent, who are blameless. Lord, to those people, you bring a defense. Integrity is a future defense strategy. Lacking integrity means we're on our own. Lacking integrity means you've actually spent your whole life doing it your own way. Sure, keep doing it your own way, on your own. I think it was C.S. Lewis that said, there's going to come a day where some people are saying, God, let your will be done. But he's saying, no, you have your will because that's the way you've always wanted it. And so here we live this morning. I want us to talk about moving into 2020, that what we sow, we reap. That what we do today is actually all about sowing and reaping for tomorrow. In Genesis 8:22, it says, "As long as the earth remains, there will be harvesting and sowing, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night." In Proverbs 18, 11, verse 18, it says, "A wicked person earns deceptive wages, but the one who sows in righteousness reaps a sure reward." Galatians 6, verse 7: "Don't be misled." God is not mocked. What you sow is what you're going to reap. Sow integrity, you'll have the integrity of God at your disposal. And so David, in this psalm, if we look back through it, defines integrity. He talks about faithfulness. He talks about purity. He talks about humility. And it all leads to a blameless life. And it all leads to a place of confidence we can have when approaching God. And then in Psalm 7, he even dares God. I love David's relationship with God and the confidence that he has. In Psalm 7, verse 3 to 5, O Lord my God, if I've done anything wrong, or if I'm guilty of injustice, if I've betrayed a friend or plundered my enemy without cause, then let my enemies capture me, let them trample me to the ground and drag my honor in the dust. God, if I've done anything wrong, let them have me and eat me alive. He's almost daring God. He's that confident in approaching God. He's that confident knowing, you know what, I have given my life 
to live a life of integrity. And the times when I have fallen, I very quickly repented. I very quickly come back and said, you know what, God, that was wrong. And my heart's desire is always to please you. I'm human. I know I'm going to fail, but I'm immediately repenting. I'm immediately coming before you with a purity of heart. So integrity was David's future defense strategy. When we've consistently lived an integrous life, we have the defense of heaven. Heaven defends those who have not abused others. Heaven defends those who haven't been opportunistic. Heaven defends those who have paid the price of integrity. And so today, I'd love for us to stop and ask ourselves, what inventory can I take today to set me up for the new year? Knowing that my future is being designed today, which areas of my life require a greater sense of integrity? So David, as a young person, if we just have a snapshot of his life, as a young person, David was the son of Jesse. He was the youngest of eight boys. He was unseen. He was almost forgotten. Being the youngest, he was sent out into the fields with his father's sheep. He was a shepherd, alone, for weeks at a time, completely alone. And so he's out there, his big brothers are, you know, being awesome and being favored and all that sort of thing. And David's stuck in the wilderness with a bunch of sheep. And so while he's out there, he's developing himself. While he's out there, he's being faithful with his father's sheep. It says that he killed both the lion and the bear when they came after the sheep. So he was faithful with what belonged to someone else, his father. He was faithful in the unseen place and he showed courage and self-sacrifice when no one was watching. And he showed courage and self-sacrifice over things that weren't even his. Things that he was entrusted to steward. And in the New Testament, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says over and over, who's going to even give you your own if you can't be faithful with someone else's? Jesus says, I promise you, you won't be faithful with much if you're not faithful with little. You're not fooling anybody if you squander the little that you're entrusted with. You're not going to be faithful with much, and so you'll never get it. And so here we have David, this young man who's in the wilderness with his father's stinky sheep, completely alone, and he's defending these sheep, and he's protecting what belongs to someone else. And we see him develop a skill in worship. We see him in the quiet place, in the darkness and the loneliness of the hills by himself that he's worshiping. He's developing skills on the harp and on the instrument, and he develops this deep relationship with God. Can I tell you, all of these things set him up for his kingship. All of these things set him up. He would not have been able to face Goliath if he hadn't faced the bear. He would not have been able to face Goliath if he hadn't faced the lion. He would not have led Israel back into worship and devotion to God if he himself had not led himself into devotion and worship when no one else was watching. And so as a young man, we see him start to cultivate himself and he's setting up his future defense strategy in the wilderness when no one's watching. And then we see the prophet Samuel come and anoint him in a private ceremony. So King Saul... Um, has, has offended God. King Saul is doing everything opposed to what God is instructing him to do. He's disobedient. He's prideful. He's doing things his own way. 
And so, so um, God instructs Samuel to go to David and anoint him. And no one knows about this. David comes in, he's forgotten about, his father even forgets he exists. And he brings all his other sons in front of Samuel. And Samuel's like, nope, none of these guys. Is there another one? He's like, oh, yeah, David. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the little guy. Yeah, go get him. Surely it's not him, but go get him. And they bring him in, and God selects David in a private ceremony at the age of about 15. He's anointed as king over Israel, and no one knows about it because no one's there. And so after that, what happens? Well, he actually goes back out into the field. And he goes back out there for 15 more years. 15 more years before he's actually crowned king. And so he's out there and, and he's developing himself. Then we see him as a man of war because a part of you know, what happens under Saul is, is Saul is leading his people into crusades, which is awesome, and they're taking land, and, and his brothers are a part of Saul's army. And we know the story that David's dad, Jesse, says, hey, David, go and, go and take this cheese and milk to your brothers, right? Can you imagine delivering cheese and milk in the Middle East? Like, gross, right? So gross. And so he's delivering cheese and milk to his brothers at the battle line. And, um, and he gets there, and all these mighty warriors are hiding. They're literally hiding. Trained men of war with all the weaponry of the kingdom, all the armory of the kingdom, they're hiding, including the king. What sort of army is this? The army of God hiding. How despicable. And so David turns up and he's like, guys, there's a big ugly guy out there who's like embarrassing us. And he's, he's shaming God. What are you all doing? And they're like, oh, David, you're so prideful. And his brothers start accusing his motives, right? Because I want to tell you from experience, anytime you stand up, there are going to be people to tell you, your motives aren't right. There are going to be p- people who are trying to cut you down yeah. and silence you. Wow. Wow. And here he is going, no, he shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And if all of you can't do it, I'll just do it. And so he steps up with a sling, a slingshot and a stone. And he gets this guy at a distance. He's nine foot tall. His armor weighs more than any one of us in this room. He's enormous, he's shouting, he's blaspheming, he's threatening, and his um, tactic, his plan is to be in close contact conflict because he's armed up, he's big, and David's like, well, I can't do that because I'm like a kid and you're massive, but I'm going to do long-range conflict, and it just takes one stone and a whole lot of faith. And the guy goes down, he goes down. What I love is that David then runs over and pulls the giant's own sword out and chops his head off with his own sword. It's amazing, absolutely amazing. The Bible's awesome, you should read it. <laughs> and so we see him, but, but he says to King Saul before he does it, because Saul's like, oh, I don't know if you can do it, and this is the hypocrisy of Saul's statement, is Goliath, he's been a fighting man from his youth, but you're a young person, you can't do it. Think about that. Someone believed in Goliath as a young person and trained him. That just makes no sense. 
So David's like, yep, you've just proven my point. Let me have him. And the fact that I've taken a lion and a bear, I can take this guy too. And he does. And so there he is, and he brings back this pride, and he becomes a military hero. And as he becomes a hero, he sparks the insecurity of the king, and so Saul tries to kill him. Saul turns against David and starts to want to kill him. And so when we're talking about integrity, I want to say the first thing we need to show integrity in is to those who are above us. Integrity upwards. We need to be faithful. David said in the psalm, you show yourself faithful to those who are faithful. And so he becomes an outlaw because Saul is crazy mad at him. And so he flees for his life and, and, and Saul's chasing him in the wilderness. As he's out there, he rallies, or not really rallies, but this band of outcasts join him because Saul's just getting crazier and crazier and more and more people are being exiled and they all kind of meet each other in the wilderness. And they say it would have been about 600 men that end up hanging out with David in, in the wilderness. And they hang out there together. Those 600 men end up becoming the core of David's army when he's the king down the track. But David has no idea about any of this. David has no surety except for the anointing that happened when he was a kid. So he's in the wilderness and he's got these men around him. And at least two times in the wilderness, and there are other times, David has the opportunity to kill Saul. Saul is coming after him to kill him and there's a lapse in security around him or he's asleep and everyone else is asleep. There are several occasions in scripture where David's, these like outcasts, these crazy guys are like, David, this is your opportunity. You should take Saul now. And he refuses. He refuses. There are going to be times that look like opportunity to you, but they're really a test. And David actually confronts them and he says these words. He says in 1 Samuel 24, he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to the Lord's anointed or lay my hand on him because he is the anointed king. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. Integrity upwards. Your boss may have it in for you, but God's watching. He is watching. And he requires honor. God blesses those who honor. Leadership, authority, Whether you like it or not, God blesses those who honor. He blessed David for honoring a crazy, ungodly king. For not taking an opportunity to slay slay God's anointed. The second thing we need to have um, integrity in is a cross. Those people who are beside me. And we see this with the men in the wilderness. We see this with his brothers in the face of Goliath, that we actually have innocence in the presence of our peers, that we remain innocent. All of this set him up for the throne. Eventually, Saul and three of his sons die in battle. And it says in scripture in several places that David mourns. He didn't throw a party. He mourned the loss of God's anointed king. And then we see him get anointed himself as the king of Judah and eventually the king over all of Israel. He's 30 years old now, after 10 or 15 years of mistreatment, after 10 or 15 years of paying the price of integrity. 
paying the price. He's a mighty king. And he's recorded as taking the small nation of Israel and turning it into a superpower. He expands Israel's borders tenfold. He reestablishes worship in the nation. He brings back the ark of the Lord and he is unrivaled as a king. There's no one before him, no one after him who is greater than him as a leader. But even then, he's still not immune to attack and struggle. Down the track, we see that David has a son who starts a revolt, a son whose name is Absalom, a son who says, I'm going to take my dad's throne because I'm offended. And he had, he had just means for his offense, just cause for his offense. And so he, he stirs up a revolt, and David's response to Absalom is amazing. It's absolutely heart-wrenching and compelling and convicting because here, here's this punk kid who stirs up his own following, and he actually challenges his own dad to war, his own dad for his throne, and David doesn't resist him. In fact, David says to his own officers and commanders, protect my son. Whatever you do, make sure no harm comes to him. He leaves the palace. He goes and hides, and he just lets Absalom take the throne. And he says these amazing words in 2 Samuel 15. He's talking to his advisors, and he says, if I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back and let me see the dwelling place again. But if he says, I'm not pleased with you, then I'm ready. Let him do whatever seems good to him. Wow. Wow. We need integrity downwards with those who are following us. We need to remain humble. We need to remain humble. This means we understand the difference between stewardship and ownership. Stewardship means I understand this isn't mine. This is all God's anyway. My job is to steward this wealth. He gave this to me. He can take it away whenever he wants. Humility to know that I don't have the pride to hang on, you know, cause and all. Humility to know if it's God's will, he'll pass it on to someone else. Humility to know God's in control to put me in and take me out. Humility to know, well, if it's my time, it's my time. It means that there's no turf wars. <laughs> Some of the ugliest thing I've seen, both in the world and in the church, is the turf wars that say, that's mine. Insecure, intimidated men and women. Yeah. And it's the ugliest thing you'll ever see. So ugly. But here we have David, both Saul and Absalom, up and down. And the whole time, David's going, God, if you want me here, you'll put me here. God, I'm not going to do this in my own strength. My integrity is my future defense strategy. And what we see, unfortunately for Absalom, is that he dies on the way. His own pride gets the better of him. And David remains in the throne and grieves the loss of his son, grieves the brokenness of the nation. But all along, maintained a heart of integrity. I want to tell you, destiny is not a destination. It's a journey. And every single step is your destiny. Every single step along the way is determining your destiny. Every response to rejection, to challenge, to hardship, 
You never know what is just around the corner or down the track. Integrity is the best future strategy you have. Integrity will cost you dearly in the present. I'm not even lying. I'm not even pretending that it's not going to cost you. Integrity is uncomfortable. It's inconvenient. It's hard. It's countercultural. It's costly. It's painful. Integrity is not easy, but it pays great rewards down the track. And it pays the rewards you want to be able to cash in on. It pays the rewards that are supernatural and higher than anything you could orchestrate on your own. Integrity pays great return. Integrity builds bridges in the future. A few weeks ago, well, you, you, church, you all know that we're right now in, in the projects of, um, of extensions and, and working with architects and councils and town planners to expand this amazing facility. It's so exciting, the season that we're in as a church. A few weeks ago, the architect came into this building and, and I, just, I just laughed to myself because the architect who's drawing plans for us <laughs> 10 years ago, 15 years ago, was a 13-year-old kid in my youth ministry. Yeah. I said to him, we'll call him Barry. <laughs> So Barry, just remember, I was really good to you when you were a teenager. <laughs> and we both laugh because it's true. I had no idea of all the kids yeah. I expected <laughs> to be advancing the legacy of the kingdom of God. He was not one of them. Yeah. I couldn't have seen this down the track. And here he is, church, in prayerful agreement with your sowing, 15 years later, drawing plans to house the future generation. You don't know what's down the track. You don't know who you're dealing with right now who is a key to your future. Only a fool burns bridges they're gonna wanna cross in the future. Make sure that you're preserving your integrity through relationships because they're the keys to your future. Paul Scanlon said this at a conference I was recently at. Don't build a resource-rich life at the expense of relationships. If you do, you'll hit ceilings all the time. I want to ask you, are you being integrous with your relationships right now? How about your week-in, week-out, monotonous, tedious ethics? How are you going with that? Because your integrity is storing up your future. You'll be able to go to God like David said and go, you know what? If I've done anything wrong, if I've, if I've abused anyone, if I've ripped anyone off, then let me, let me pay the price of that, knowing full well, God, you restore me because I'm blameless. You restore me because I've been faithful. You restore me because I've followed your ways. You restore me because I've paid the price of integrity. And God, now, actually, actually, I need your help. And God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews 11. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message empowers you to unmistakably influence your world for good and for God. 
If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. This is the beginning of a life-changing journey. We would love to see you at one of our many City Point Church services across Brisbane and the world this Sunday. You can find out more about our service times and locations at citypointchurch.com. We're so excited to see you there.